Hi, this is Reverend Tommy, and I'd like to welcome you back to the garden where we explore the big questions about life. I invite you to open your minds and be receptive to seeing things differently. So let's get metaphysical. Well, once again, good morning, and um, what a pleasure it is to have the, this group here today. Unity principles. Number one, God is absolute good and everywhere present. As most of you know, unity has five fundamental basic principles that summarize our entire philosophy, our theology. They are printed in the back of the program every week, just to remind you. And the way they came to be is that Connie Fillmore Bazzi, she was the great-granddaughter of Unity co-founders Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, was asked if she could summarize Unity teachings for a Daily Word article when she was the president of the school up in Kansas City at the time. She came up with these five principles, and they've pretty much become the cornerstone of our teachings. As part of the final process of becoming a licensed Unity teacher, one of the things I have to do here is teach three classes. Uh, one of them is the five principles. And, of course, it is also one of the classes that we use, or the class that we use to become a member. So we're all familiar with the principles. Uh, they're in that handout, the keys to the kingdom, that we hand to the new visitors usually. But I had never read this particular book by Ellen Devin, Reverend Ellen Devonport. So I thought, well, this would be a good time to do that. And I've never taught a membership class. I said, well, let's just do that then. Put it all together. And so that's what I'm going to do. So today I'm going to talk about unity principle number one. Now, before I get into the lesson, let me first talk about why we're even having this conversation. As I was writing that, I thought, duh, it's Sunday. We're in church. Might be a good time to talk about God. I don't know. I'm just thinking. But that's not what I had in mind. What I was, what I was trying to get to is a larger picture historically. Because the truth is that this inquiry into this subject that we call God seems to be hardwired into us. Mankind has always had an apparent intuition into something bigger than we are. Something that we cannot detect. It is... It, you can just go through the history of a man, and it is everywhere, always has been. Something about it is in there. Well, say what you will. Perhaps you've had these similar thoughts, you know. What is this life, this place, this universe, me, you? What is going on? Where do we go from here? Do we go somewhere? Do we go nowhere? And how is all of this determined is it all random, or is there some rhyme and reason to the whole thing? Philosophers and theologians have been puzzled by these questions from the beginning. How man has answered these questions is in direct proportion <clears throat> to the degree of man's understanding of the universe and of ourselves. In other words, as our consciousness has unfolded, so too have the answers to these questions. As the saying goes, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. 
Now, that's a very important point because that is kind of what sets the unity view of Christianity apart from the traditional view of Christianity. What's one of the things? Simply put, the traditional explanation of what's going on is based on a mindset, a consciousness from long ago. It made sense to the people of that time period because that's how they understood things to be. But that's no longer the case for many people. Let me give you an example. Offering animals for sacrifice was part of the service in that time. It was just what they did. They believed that the proper way to worship God was to offer animal sacrifices. Now, that's the mindset. Let me bring that mindset forward to now, this point. Let me ask you something. Imagine coming here today. I've got some new friends here today. DJ, imagine coming here today and experiencing an animal sacrifice. What would you think? You'd probably say, oh, that's okay. That's normal. In fact, that is the proper way to worship God. Or you might think, I need to get out of this place right now (laughs) and run straight out the door and call the police. Because I'm thinking that's probably what you would do. Because that's what I would do if I went somewhere and that's what I saw. I said, I'm out of here. (laughs) Sorry. Anyway, that's just change. The sacrifice would be an extremely strange idea to you at this point. Yet it still somehow makes it into the cornerstone of traditional Christianity. And I don't want to get into that too much. But uh, for me, God is not into sacrifices. Never was, never will be. To me, that's man's way of thinking. That's not God's way of thinking. And for the record, I'm not crit- being critical of anybody's views or how they see things. And I, I'm truly trying to understand what's going on. I truly am. I want to know what is going on and something that makes sense from this perspective now. So what is happening more and more now is that the race consciousness is outgrowing that old traditional way of viewing things, of viewing religion or of viewing Christianity, and along with that, the old way of seeing God. In the old, script, in the old Hebrew scriptures, what we call the New Test, Old Testament, there's stories of God wiping out entire civilizations. And the younger kids just not buying into that. I have a lot of friends that tell you, you know, I, I have a problem with all that stuff. Yeah, I know, I get it. I do too. <laughs> and the result has been an increase in atheism. And people are in an apathy towards religion or spirituality. And that's a sad thing. Because that is an aspect of us that is a very, very important. In fact, science and psychology are now trying, are beginning to understand that being part of a spiritual community is actually good for your health. They're saying this stuff now. And why would that be? Because that's who we are. That is our nature. As we say in unity, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. First time I saw it, I was like, whoa, because it flips everything around. And by the way, you need to make that up. That's a Roman Catholic father who said that. Pierre Teilhard de Chardin is his name. He lived between 18-something, 80-something, whatever, in 1955 or something. He was a paleontologist and a priest. And he, as I've said before, he, like Galileo, 
got the call from the Vatican and said, hey, 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 bájale, bro. You know, bring it down a little bit <laughs> with what you're saying, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> the truth is that without spirituality, we are fish out of water. That's what's happening. But we've outgrown that way of seeing spirituality, and we must find a new way. And I think unity is a step in that right direction. One last thing I'd like to say to atheists who may be listening online or maybe to my podcast some other day. I like to say, I always like to say to them when somebody tells me they're atheist, I said, you know what? The God that you don't believe in, I don't believe in either. So we have that in common. However, let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Let's not do that either. St. Paul wrote, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away my childish things. So for us in unity, there is an alternative way of seeing this bigger picture, which is rational, personal, sensible, relatable, and best of all, empowering. It is an empowering message. So this disconnect between the old way of seeing things and the new way of seeing things is something I can very much relate to. And obviously so, is, so can Reverend Devonport in her book because she talks about her child, her child view when she was a child of God was an old man in the sky who watched every move that she made and who loved her but refused to love anyone who did not accept Jesus and he would actually send them to hell. And she had a real problem with that. She had the identical thought, the identical question that I had growing up. What kind of God would condemn people to hell if they didn't even know who Jesus is? I told you before, I used to have these conversations with the Jesus freaks back in the 70s. I had some, you know, there's a lot of Jesus freaks back then. And we used to have these uh, conversations, and I kind of felt semi-guilty because I, I grew up a Christian, a Catholic, and, and there's something right about it for me. Something feels right, but something doesn't quite feel right at the same time. It's, it's just one of those things. And I used to tell him, it's just contradictory to me. It confuses me because on the one hand, you tell me that God is love, and on the other hand, you're telling me that God is sending people to hell. How do these things work? As it turns out, I finally made some sense of it of what part that I made that I didn't really care for. And, and that was part of that, that, the exclusive nature of it. That if you're not this, then you're out. That's wrong. You know what I always say? My explanation is that it has got to be about everybody. Everybody. Buddhists, Muslims, I don't care what they are. We're talking God here. This is a big picture. You better be able to cover all the bases or something's wrong. That's how I see it. And speaking of God and contradictions, <laughs> once I started to see things differently, then I saw this in, in Corinthians 13. You know this, that, that's, that line? It's when it's when they use for all the weddings. That love is this, love is that, da, da, da. You know how it goes. And then one day I was listening to it, and it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. And I said, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. What happens to the God that these people are there going, I saw that, bro, and he's writing stuff down, you know? 
What happened to that? What happened? To, because that sounds like a judgmental God who does keep record of things. So on the one hand, we have love. God is love. And love does not keep record of things. But God does. Well, I don't understand these things. So I need, I need clarity. And, and that's what I'm trying to do. I think God is more like Jesus, myself. Because Jesus told the lady right before she was about to be stoned, he said, neither do I judge you. That's what he told her. The contradictions were very troubling for me. They were very, very troubling me. I just kind of thought, like, get your story straight and then talk to me. Please, because you're confusing me. <laughs> Reverend Ellen and I have another thing in common. That is because we did not buy into the explanation of tradition. We kind of bailed out of religion altogether for a very long time. She said she went, like, from her 20s to, like, her 40s. And with nothing. Never went to church, never did nothing. Remember what I just, I just, what I just finished telling you? Being in spiritual community is very important to you. It really, really is because it's who we are. You know, your body, see, your, you know, your nature seeks that, that community of being with, in a loving, loving presence like we are today. And so she left it all behind until she finally found unity. And I'm the same way. When I came across unity, I said, wow, this is very interesting. Because in unity we say, I found a place where God is absolute good and everywhere present. Now, what does absolute good mean? What does absolute mean? Guess what? I looked it up. It says this, not qualified or diminished in any way. Total. Two, viewed or existing independently and not in relation to other things, not relative or comparative. Three, Philosophy, it says, a value or a principle that is regarded as university, universally valid or that may be viewed without relation to other things. Absolute. And I thought, well, you know, this business of God is absolute good sounds really good in theory, but how does this make sense like in a, on a practical scale or way? And Reverend Ellen says, well, a principle, she says, is a rule or a law that never changes. It applies to all people, everywhere, all the time. I said, cool. Like what? And she said, well, like mathematics. Because she says, two plus two equals four, anywhere, all the time. You ask, you answer never, your answer never depends on whether you're a good or bad. The principle doesn't even know if you're right or wrong. It just is. Now, do you think math actually gets mad at you because you come up with 2 plus 2 equals 5? No. It doesn't judge you. It doesn't get mad. That would be a silly thing to think. And this could be just true of God as well. When you make a mistake, and I, well, l- listen to what it says in Matthew 5.45. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and the bad. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So God as principle makes no distinction between right and wrong. It's a very strange idea, I understand. But it's simply because for God to acknowledge such a thing would make God relative. And now God is not absolute anymore. It's it's a fine line, but it really, it's a very important line. See, God gives because it's God's nature to give. That is God's nature. It's like water. Water 
gives life. Water doesn't want anything back. It is what it is. It gives it. It is hard for us to understand these things because we live in this dualistic 3D world. And we have created God in our image instead of the other way around. And it's hard to undo these things. Another thing that relates to unity and God, and this is very strange if it's new to you, that God is not judgmental. Mm. Well, we just kind of said he wasn't. Now, hold on to your seats here. It's getting a little bumpy. (laughs) But we teach that God does not forgive. Mm. Now, wait a minute, Señor de Leon. You're way off base now, brother. No, no, I'm not, actually. And, And the reason why is because God does not forgive because God never saw, God never judged you in the first place. God never judged you. There's no need for him to forgive you. You are the one making the error. You have creative will. And you have the power, free will and creative power. And you make the mistakes. God doesn't make them. He he doesn't. it's, It's a hard thing to understand. I understand. We don't need to be forgiven because we were never judged. That's the bottom line. Besides, what do they say? Forgiveness is for the sake of the forgiver. Have you ever heard that? Forgiveness is for the forsake, for the sake of the forgiver. Because you're the one carrying this load. And you're the one who, it's affecting you. You're the one who needs to get rid of it. Now, what need does God have to forgive? God is complete. Has no need. No need whatsoever. Think of it this way. Is light aware of darkness? Have you ever thought of that? Of course not. When there is light, there is no darkness. And in case you've ever noticed, everything relating to God is always put, and we were talking about that in that book, in that study class. God is always talked about in, in, in light. And the, the, you are the light of the world. All these things. And when light is present, darkness, it just disappears. It doesn't have to fight with it. Nothing. It simply vanishes. And when I first thought, and not only that, but light is not even aware of darkness. So you think, how can God not be aware of evil? In the same way that light is not aware of darkness. Because it just isn't. It's a strange thing. But trust me, when you really take it, take it in at a deep level, it really does make sense. The Bible says that whatever judgment you judge, you shall be judged. That sounds like self-judgment to me. You judge yourself because that which you do to others, you do to yourself. It's a strange thing. God, so unity teaches God as principle. That is the principle part of it. But also we teach God as personal. So God is both principle and personal. God is both out there in principle, this big, big, big thing. And God is also in here as personal because we are the expressive side of God. It is we. It is God expressing through us. And because we have free will, then we kind of have free reign. And if we make a mistake, we have to correct it. We have to find our way back home. Now, there's another concept of the unity view and of principle one. God is everywhere present. That's very, very important and is also fundamental 
to the difference between unity teachings and traditional Christianity, and that is the concept of oneness. And I've talked about that before. This is a major distinction between the two. Because tradition teaches that we have been separated from God, and we say, that's not even possible. How can you be separate from something that is everywhere? How is such a thing even possible? It's not. The only way that it's sort of possible is that because we have this creative power, we can create situations that seem to be separate from God. That's what happens. It is an appearance, an appearance only, in the same way that it appears that the sun is going around the earth, but it's really not. So being separated from God is an appearance only. Because as I said in the opening, Paul wrote, in him and by him he met God, Christ. We live and move and have our being. When I hear this reading, I imagine us as fish in the ocean. Just imagine yourself like you are a person in God, so to speak. You're, it's everywhere. It's, it's throughout your whole system. It's all around you. You are inundated in it. You cannot be separated from it. Cannot. So God is absolute good and everywhere present. And I'm going to leave you with this excerpt from the Bhagavad Gita that Reverend Davenport has on page 23 about this oneness business. That is key to everything. The reading says, By me is this entire universe pervaded. All things are in me and I in them. Know that as a mighty wind blowing everywhere rests in the sky, all created beings rest in me. I am the father, the mother, the supporter, and the grandsire of the universe. Children of God, we are all one.